Welcome back to the Lauren Valor podcast slash YouTube channel. Uh, glad to be spending another Sunday afternoon with you. And this is the last uh, live stream, probably the last video, to be honest, for a little while, because we are headed out uh, via Parts Unknown to Chattanooga for Liberty Con. Very excited about that. Um, so unfortunately, I didn't get the video, all the videos recorded that I wanted to get recorded this week. Um, you know, like I said, for a lot of us, we all have both day jobs and uh, writing or creative careers to balance. So I really wanted to record with mo both Mona Lisa and Sam this week uh, with Mona Lisa about Shadow and Bone. And Sam and I are going to have uh, what once we can find time to do it. We definitely have some some words to have about Kenobi uh, when that when that occurs, but just couldn't make it work. Um, actually, you know, I want to front load this stream by thanking uh, you know, my, uh, my co-hosts, you know, I've had, um, Sam Platisky, Casey Azell, Joel Presby, and Melissa Foster have all taken valuable time to help me add value to this channel and present their viewpoint on shows and other things. Hey, Leo, thanks for joining us. Good to see you. Um, so yeah, I really want to thank them for coming on to bullshit with me about, you know, various TV shows and other things. Um, on the writing front, uh, this was kind of a rough week. I only got about a thousand words on a uh, countdown criminal enterprise. Um, it's largely cause I've had to crank pretty hard on the, uh, uh, on the day job, uh, honestly, cause I've, I'm about to head out for almost two weeks for Liberty con. I needed to make sure my board was green. Um, so I'm not <laughs> leaving anyone in the lurch, uh, while I'm on the road. Um, I work for a great company. It's, uh, I don't talk about them too much on social media, not because I'm embarrassed by them, but because while I'm not the most political dude, I, I do get political political here sometimes. So yeah, no, thanks, Molly. So that's 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 a good point. Um, thousand words is a lot better than zero, uh, and it's a lot better to get what you can than uh, bitch about not being able to do anything. Yeah, thank you, Leo, and Mona Lisa and Leo. Thank you both for showing up in the comments. I appreciate it. Um. So, so yeah. And then the one thing I am doing uh, and I'm going to finish off tonight is actually polishing off, uh, the readings for, um, Liberty con that I've got. So I've actually, we finally got our schedules last week. That's not a ding on the committee. I know there's been a lot of last minute changes they've had to make. Uh, you know, Leo, that's actually a good point too. I'll, I'll go ahead and show the audience that one. Yeah. A thousand words with context is better than 10,000 words of word vomit. That's probably true. I probably err too much on the side of trying to create a final draft with the first thing I type. Um, there's something to be said for you can't fix it unless it's written. So, yeah, but you got to you got to walk that fine line, because if you're just putting garbage on the page, then, you know, that's you, you can't fix something that doesn't have the potential to begin with. Like I said, though, I think I err too much on the side of sitting there thinking, trying to polish it perfectly in my head and then putting it on the page, which, you know. It's not the worst problem to have. It's probably not the worst habit to have, but I think it does make me slower than I necessarily need to be as a new writer um, who has a day job and a family and a bunch of other things competing for my writing time and still the need to try to uh, pump out novel length work uh, to advance my career, hopefully as a writer. Um, so where was I? Right. So yeah, I've uh, been polishing off the readings for um, Winter of Sapphire and Steel with uh, Tom Crapman. Yeah, no, you're right, Mona Lisa. You're right about that. Uh, better than 10,000 words of just typing. Um, but yeah, so the uh, 
the winner of Sapphire and Steel will have... Re well, actually, here. I actually... I have the technology. I'm on StreamYard. I can show you... Uh, I can share my LibertyCon schedule here. Um, share screen. Okay. Cool. And there we go. So that should be... Make that full size for a minute. So that is... I don't know if that's readable on YouTube. But yeah, so uh, on that Friday, I've got um, a reading with Tom for the sequel to the Romanov Rescue. Uh, everyone's going to the opening ceremonies. Uh, Friday night at 8, I'm on the No Shit There I Was panel, which last time we all gathered together in Liberty Con, that was a blast. Um, and it looks like a good crew is going to be there for this one too. We've got former law enforcement, uh, you know, a couple, uh, couple veteran soldiers like me, and it's moderated by... Uh, Sci-Fi and Fantasy's premier Navy SEAL veteran, Mike Massa, uh, will actually be um, moderating that. So that should be a good time. And then um, the Bain Traveling Roadshow, because Bain, as you know, is my publisher. They say the Bain Reception, which they say is a private event. Um, there's a lot of, lot of pros going to that one, though, for it to be a private event. Uh, and then Sunday at 10, I've got my second reading, which is Countdown Criminal Enterprise, which is the sequel to Tom's... Uh, M day series. So it's a thriller set in the Mexican drug war. So that's Liberty con. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, but yeah, I'm just, uh, just polishing those the, for writing. The last thing I'm going to do is polish those off. And then I will probably, uh, be at, at zero words while I'm traveling. So I'll be focused on if we're not actually at the con, we're also, you know, running family vacation time. So I'll be focused on that probably won't be recording or live streaming, although I might, uh, if the opportunity presents itself while we're traveling. Um, yeah, in terms of, uh, what I've been reading lately, I, ha I actually haven't had that much time to read lately either. I'm still on, uh, Gordon R. Dixon's The Final Encyclopedia, uh, which Mona Lisa, since you're here, I, I'm interested. Um, you know, we've been friends for a long time and we have very similar tastes in many ways and very divergent tastes, in other ways, and since you're in the comments, I thought I'd go ahead and ask you, um, what do you think is like the cutoff date for you for somebody's style and prose to get so archaic that you have a hard time relating to it? Because I can still enjoy Gar Gordon R. Dixon um, and others, even though I recognize like, oh, this is, you know, they head hop or a little bit, not like to the extent that Frank Herbert does, but they'll head hop or they'll do something else that breaks immersion. But I'm really only aware of it because I've you know, spent quite a few years trying to get good at writing. So I was just curious, uh, you know, for you about what's the cutoff line before you're like, yeah, no, this is, this is too alien to identify with, or the, the writing ticks are too strange for me to, to actually get along with it. Um. <clears throat> So yeah, uh, but what I did start doing is I started listening to Larry Correa's uh, Monster Hunter Bloodlines on Audible. Uh, Larry is um, not someone I know personally. I know a lot of Bane authors personally, but I don't know Larry. Um, so that um, I'm really a fond of his work on Audible. Oh wait, uh, Leo has a comment here. Let me throw that up there. So yeah, archaic comes and goes out of popularity. Sometimes books are almost nil, others replete. I mean, that's fair. Like, um, Dea, like, not to, uh, you know, you can't argue with Latinum, Latin, Latinum. Thinking about Ferengi there for a moment. You can't argue with Latin, uh, De Gustibus Non Disputandum, right? Um, 
but yeah, so there is a matter of taste, but there is also the matter of craft and craft evolves and there is some there is some objectivity to gra- to craft. Yeah, it depends on the writer. Um, I was noticing that for Heinlein has aged is is evergreen for me. I revisit it every few years and no matter how much I learn as a writer, I still love Heinlein just as much. So um but yeah, no, it's just an interesting thought. A lot of that a lot of the 70s and 80s, 60s, 70s, 80s and earlier uh sci-fi, they you know, it was much more about the ideas than it was about the craft, which doesn't make those books not valuable, but it is interesting to me um, to look at it from different viewpoints and what people look for in a book, so to speak. Yeah, no, that's true as well, Leah. Um, yeah, so listening to Monster Hunter Bloodlines on Audible um, after it's been out for a while, so that's been fun. Uh, I always recommend his work on Audible. Not only is he very entertaining, he always manages to net really good narrators, so it's a really good experience. And uh, with my job, I have a lot of windshield time, so I cut a lot of, I, I kill a lot of hours that way. It's really good. Um, uh, something else I've been, I haven't had a lot of time for, but um, I've been making a little bit more time for his video games, you know, like some of the, not like Call of Duty, no, no offense. I have a very dear friend who works on uh, Call of Duty Warzone and uh, is very well regarded in his industry for it, but I'm, I'm kind of over it. Uh, the franchise myself. Um, but I was actually, um, I got for my son the 2018 Spider-Man uh, PS4 game, uh, PlayStation 4 game. And I was surprised at how really quite good it is uh, just in terms of the writing. I mean, you have to like comic books to begin with. So, you know, if you're not into Spider-Man, this game is not going to change your mind about the superhero genre. Um, but if you are a fan of Peter Parker and Spider-Man, then I do think this is actually a really pretty good representation. And the the mechanics are such that being, you know, the definition of a filthy casual gamer myself, then it's actually very easy to get into. Um, and then uh, shortly after that, so we were playing the Spider-Man game. I'm playing casually. I haven't finished it yet, but he has. Uh, and then we also got for his birthday, we got the Guardians of the Galaxy PlayStation 4 game, and it was really solid too. So it was actually interesting to me, both in terms of storytelling and gameplay, it was really solid. I mean, so it was super interesting to me that I'm like, if the MCU really craps the bed, um, yeah, Leo, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put that comment on the screen in just a mo- just a moment, because the MCU, in my opinion, is you know I I have been a fan for a long time, but you know even I am I feel like I'm whistling in the dark lately because they've been having. You know, they used to have their worst movies were still kind of satisfying if you were a hardcore fan. Now they're getting to the point where it some of their stuff is still pretty darn good, in my opinion, but some of their stuff feels like it's an intentional insult uh, sometimes. So I'm thinking, you know, if the MCU just detonates, yeah, yeah, if it just completely de- detonates at this point, um, I'll put that one first and then we'll get back to your original comment. Yeah, so MCU absolutely craps the bed. So much crapping the bed. I mean, The Eternals is a metric shit ton in, of, in and of itself. You know, like th- that was a terrible movie. Uh, uh, and then the Disney Plus shows have generally been bad. Um, some of them I like better than others, but they've, they've all been bad. So even as somebody who considers himself a pretty hardcore fan, uh, it just, there's not a lot of hope. So, but I'm playing these video games and enjoying them. I'm like, oh, 
okay, well, maybe this is the migration. You know, I'm like as the MCU falters, um, if they can't get their shit together and actually put out reliably quality content again for their fan base, you know, maybe this is where it goes. Maybe you start seeing a crop of really great uh, comic book inspired games. Uh, the last Avengers game was not good. I didn't play it, but I heard it got panned widely. Uh, but this same studio that was making, that made the um, Spider-Man game that was really good is making a Wolverine game as well for the next gen console and Wolverine, despite being Canadian, I kid, I kid if Jamie or my other Canadian friends, if you're watching this, love you guys. As far as I'm concerned, Canada is the silver medal of countries. So, um, so yeah, if, if the movies and the TV shows can't get their shit together, then maybe that's, you know, a good place for comic books to, uh, go since I hate to say it, comic books themselves have also kind of shit the bed. At least the two, uh, mainstream publishing houses, Marvel and DC have been off their game for a long time. Uh, but anyway, oh, so I wanted to put this up. So Leo says, hate to say it, but profitable writers need to pay attention to gaming and comic books know the audience thirst, then we can write for them. You know, and I think that's a that's a valid observation. I would say there's a caution there that you need to be aware of how much your Venn diagram overlaps uh, with the gaming and comics audience. Obviously, there's quite a bit depending on what you write. I think if like I'm, I mean, I've ended up writing a lot of different stuff, but I'd say I'm primarily a military fantasy and science fiction author. So my overlap with comic book fans and gamers is pretty solid. Um, although not the entire population of gamers is going to be in there, you know, guys playing vampire, the masquerade. Um, if that's the only thing they play and they're, they're strictly, you know, vampire Gothic types, I may not have that much to offer them, uh, from my books, but you know, guys who play dungeons and dragons, well, I'm going to be writing epic fantasy guys who play traveler or, you know, more up to date Starfinder. Yeah. I'm going to be writing science fiction. So yeah, that, that is, that is uh, happy hunting grounds for me. But yeah, it's a good point, Leo. You know, you look at other mediums and what they're doing and what's hitting and you just got to be careful in how you apply it to your own work because there's a danger in chasing a trend too, right? Sorry for the squelching noises. So there's a danger in chasing a trend in that um, if it's just not right for your medium, um you know, video game designers and uh, movie and television production teams just have tools that we don't and vice versa. Uh, as a prose writer, as a novelist, or even a writer of short fiction, what you have that's the most powerful tool that can let you still beat a movie is immersion, right? Like that you can, like, if you're really good and you pay attention to your craft and you give some, give the reader someone to identify with, you know, you can immerse them in a story in a way that as of right now, no other medium can yet. Um, you know, maybe we'll get the matrix someday, but for now, uh, books are still the most vivid, um, you know, still the most vivid way to experience something vicariously at this point, uh, all, with all five senses. So, um, it's something, um, it's a bit of a tan. I mean, this is all a bit of a tangent, right? This is me ranting on a Sunday afternoon. I don't need to apologize for a tangent. Right. Right. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good point, Leo. I'll, I'll put, throw that one up there too. Cultural, it helps when, with the language spoken. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Knowing the cultural touchstones is important and knowing, um, what's in the zeitgeist is important. Even if you're not 
even if you're not chasing it per se, uh, it's still important to understand the environment in, into which you're throwing your art if you want to be commercially successful. Yeah, it's, I think that's fair. Um, but I was about to say, being able to immerse in all senses is your most powerful one of my, your most powerful tools as a writer. And I learned that from um, David Farland. Um, David Farland, uh, uh, if you're watching me and you're probably a Star Wars fan, you probably know Dave David Farland by I think it was his real name, Dave Wolverton. And he wrote The Courtship of Princess Leia, a novel that was set uh, just after Return of the Jedi. <clears throat> I really enjoy it. Um, I think it's a good book. There are some people who nitpick it. Um, there are things that are, yeah, they're maybe a little silly, but I really loved it. It's the, the book I took to have him sign when I took his course. So I took David Farland's Writing Enchanting Prose course, and the most valuable thing I learned from him was a technique called... Um, the KAV cycle, which is kinetic, not kinetic, kinetic audio visual, and then in parentheses S for scent. So the idea being that on every page in about equal portion, depending on what you're writing, you want to make sure you're having description that appeals to the kinetic senses, temperature, touch, motion, uh, sound, you know, audio senses, and then the visual. You want to describe what your your point of view protagonist is seeing uh, as well uh, without filter words, since Mona Lisa might still be on here. Don't use filter words. Filter words are bad. Um, just say what they saw. Don't say they saw it when you're writing. Um, but so that was, that was one of the things that helped move me along, right? I'm still got a long way to go. I'm a newbie writer. Um, I'm, I'm a really newbie writer, really. So, um, I'm not trying to give myself airs, but that was one of the things that helped me not only write more effective prose. Um, <laughs> hi, Mona Lisa. <laughs> yeah, I know you were. I, I, I could hear your teeth gritting through the camera, actually. Um, but uh, not only did it help me write better prose, it also is actually a touchstone to help you break through if you're unsure what to write next, because you can take that KAV cycle and if you're in a scene and you're like, I, I don't know what to write next, think about the experience of your protagonist and portray that. Uh, and very often I think that that helps me break the block very frequently when I'm like, well, what are, what are they going through? <laughs> there was, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I almost uh, gave bad writing advice and Mona Lisa was ready to, to write that wrong. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, I'm so glad you're here, by the way. Um, but yeah, so as a way to block to break through, if like I'm not sure what to write next, just ask yourself what is my protagonist seeing, hearing, feeling, both emotionally and physically. And then for scent, I only include a scent cue when there's a dramatic change because you generally, most people at least, only think about what they're smelling when there's a dramatic change in what they're smelling, right? So yeah. Um, that's the KAV cycle. And that is uh, advice I give to um, peers and those handful of aspiring who are still, who look to me for advice. Um, but yeah, so that was interesting. Um, what else is going on? Uh, tried uh, the new Battletech game for tabletop with my son Gideon. Uh, it was pretty fun. Uh, I mean, the, 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 the concept is so sound for boys you know, giant robots shooting rockets and lasers at each other. Yeah, no, Leo, that is true. Scent is the sense most interlinked with human memory. That is true. 
Um, and it's also inextricably linked with your sense of taste. So if you're going to describe taste, the scent is probably part of it as well. Uh, gosh, uh, Mona Lisa, it was on your Facebook page, I think, that uh, you had pulled up a passage from a short story or maybe just a, a scrap from Twitter of somebody had written something about, I kissed him and he tasted of cigarettes and coffee. And you pointed out correctly that actually if he tasted of cigarettes and coffee, you would have smelt it before you kissed him. So that's one thing to keep in mind is senses that are linked and um, the logical flow of information. This is becoming a craft live stream, but I'm okay with that. Um, is that if you have a detail that your point of view protagonist would have noticed five minutes ago and you don't include it until super late in the narrative, it's very jarring. Um, it's okay to leave things out. You can't describe everything. Um, but if it's important to the story and you're going to describe it, make sure you describe it as best you can, as it would occur to your protagonist, not, Oh, I just thought of it. Actually, this dude freakishly tall, you know, like, like include that when you're getting the first visual impression, not five paragraphs later, some basic writing advice as well. Um, but yeah, um, still, uh, so Leo, you're correct that scent is most linked with memory, but and maybe like if if we want to debate this, I'm happy to do so. But right now, I don't notice what I'm smelling because there's no state change in what I'm smelling. Now, if I get a strong scent, it can definitely trigger, you know, a certain memory. Like um, tires always make me think of my dad because of waiting uh, with my dad at the mechanics um, to get the explore my his old Ford Explorer fixed. And there were a bunch of tires lying around. So the smell of tire rubber always makes me think of my dad randomly. So absolutely true. Um, and that's, again, like most things in life, that's another thing to keep in mind when you're writing is how can you link it um, without being precious or overdoing it? How can you make something mundane, uh, something fantastic or something revealing or important to the character? Um, so that's that's another bit of, uh, of uh, writing advice to stumble upon. Um, so yeah, uh, tabletop front, um, played Battletech with game and it was pretty fun. I mean, jets and lasers at each other. Uh, what, what little boy doesn't love that premise? Uh, it's too hard to hit in that game. Um, so I think I'm going to be homebrewing that, uh, pretty soon because it's just, you know, we had a turn, it was just two mechs, right? I, I had one and Gideon had one. You'd think it'd be a pretty quick game. But there were three turns where no one hit anyone, and we both like we just stopped at that point. We're like, okay, this this needs work. So, I'm I'm interested in the premise, um, and that's actually a series of um, sorry, another tangent. But speaking of BattleTech, that's another uh, classic military sci-fi series I've actually never uh, engaged with. Is uh, Michael Stackpole's uh, Kerensky books in BattleTech. So I'm aware of Michael Stackpole through Rogue Squadron. Um, and I love those books. We're actually going to be listening to the Rogue Squadron books on the way to uh, LibertyCon in the car on Audible. Um, but I've never read his Battletech stuff, so uh, that might be interesting to dig into as well. Um, Mona Lisa, you might actually like Stackpole well enough. Um, he does not head hop. He sticks with his POV character. Um, he does have romantic subplots, and he keeps classic Star Wars feel without completely leaning on member berries. I wouldn't say like probably at this point, I don't know if you, if you'd have time for them um, given 
we're all very busy, but I, I'd be curious about your reaction to them because I think they're very solid. Um, Stackpole also had a podcast that was pretty instrumental um, called, um, uh, was it Dragons in the Dragons in the Page Story Dragons? Gosh, it's killing me. Um, but he had a whole series on outlining that was super useful to me and got me to finish my first draft. So, um, yeah, I, I have a lot of fondness for his work. Um, any questions, guys, at this point? Uh, I think that's pretty much it. Uh, fortunately, Mona Lisa, yeah, I know time is the issue, so I'm not going to be butthurt if you don't give these a try. Uh, but the, the specific one to start, start with is aptly titled Rogue Squadron. Just Rogue Squadron. Here, hold on. I'm going to pull it up real quick. So here, I'm going to share screen real quick. So it is that one, Mona Lisa, by Michael Stackpole. Star Wars Rogue Squadron. So the cover should look like that. It's an X-Wing in front of a Star Destroyer. Star Wars X-Wing Rogue Squadron. Um, I actually recommend the narrator. He's pretty good if you have windshield time and you'd rather listen than read. Cause I know for writers reading is often feels like work because we have to edit our own stuff so much. Um, and okay, Leo. So my future projects. So right now it's criminal enterprise uh, for, uh, with Tom. So I'm writing the next M day novel uh, with Tom Kratman. Uh, the next thing after that, I'll probably do my contribution to winner of Sapphire and steel. Uh, which is the sequel to Romanov Rescue that Mona Lisa also helped us out with, um, but then decided she wasn't terribly interested in being an alternate history writer, so she moved on to other projects uh, while we kept going with the Russian Civil War. Um, so uh, then, so there's Countdown Criminal Enterprises is now uh, winner of Sapphire and Steel. Tom and Casey Azell are working on that right now. I'll be doing my contribution after they're done because I'm third chair on that. I, I have the least amount of raw content to do. Uh, and then after that, I hope to get back to um, Gods and Men Alike is the working title, but that might change. Um, and it is a military fantasy uh, set in alternate world where you have reached like a 1960s or 70s level of technology in terms of what's possible, but you have the pantheons of different mythologies, Greek, Egyptian, Norse, um, Hindu, well, Hindu is an active religion right now. So I guess I shouldn't call it a mythology out of manners. No offense to anyone who's a practicing Hindu. Um, you know, you have the various pantheons of gods active, uh, and operating through mortal agents. Magic is real. Mythological beasts are real, but you also have jets, machine guns, etc. So that's the setting story. Uh, the core of the story is actually two um, junior officers for Athens that are... <laughs> hey, Denison, how the hell have you been? Uh, sorry, one of my troops just, just logged on. So, hey, Chris, how have you been, buddy? Good to see you. Um, one of my old troops. I don't have troops anymore. I'm a civilian, obviously. Um, but uh, 
but yeah, so that's the that's the the uh, the emotional core of the story is two Athenian officers uh, stuck in the middle of a proxy war, where you have the Romans and the various Greek states uh, vying over a fictional island. It's not Crete or Cyprus, um, f- vying over a fictional island with Egypt uh, through um, both direct intervention and proxy war. So you have two junior officers, one of whom is. Uh, an Athenian aristocrat, uh, kind of the Kaloi Kagathoi, um, you know, one of the traditional hoplite class of Athens. But you know, we're not we're not in spears and you know hoplon armor. We're in you know Kevlar and rifles. It's not called Kevlar naturally. Um, and then you have uh, the other officer is a, a Jew living in Athens who is a, a practitioner of magic. And yes, he does thread the needle on what the Old Testament has to say about magic, um, much the same way many people with Judeo-Christian uh, religious beliefs kind of have to thread the needle to live in the modern era. So I enjoy that a lot. And uh, I, I have the first draft of that done. Um, I've gotten a lot of great feedback from a few different readers. Um, so I've, I'm not working on it actively now, but I do intend to revise that. Uh, and see if Tony Weisskopf is interested in it. Um, but to be honest with you, it's get, probably going to be probably going to be a couple years uh, before I'm onto that, just because there's there's stuff that you know, and great problem to have, you know, knowing that if you get it done and it's decent, they'll publish it. Great problem to have, but it does mean that you prioritize projects based on you know what the publisher wants at that point. So it'll probably be. 18 months, two years before I'm able to get serious work in on my, uh, my solo novel again. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, I know it's, it's good. Um, what else? Saw Top Gun 2. Um, I freaking loved it. So, I've seen most reactions are like me, you know, everyone is really thrilled with it. Um, <laughs> I will say, and uh, yeah, I will say that's um, a great red blooded bombastic movie in the vein of the late eighties and early nineties um, for people complaining about the realism. Well, no shit. Uh, the original top gun was bullshit too. Uh, like let's be real here um you know there was nothing military realistic about the original story either or very little that was militarily realistic about the original story either um uh, and they did set up the death star run up spoilers if you haven't seen top gun maverick so i i feel like if you're watching top gun maverick you're not really expecting a plot twist the movie is giving you what you expect it to give you you know, and it's that that old school endorphin hit from watching jet fighters maneuver on each other and fighter pilots act like goofballs um, and uh, having some interpersonal drama. I will say it's hard to criticize the inclusion of Jennifer Connelly in anything because she's both a great actress and just she's a very beautiful woman. But she did feel pretty tacked on uh, in the story. It was very much like, a, oh, yeah, Top Gun had a romantic subplot, so we need to make sure there's a romantic subplot in this one too. And it just felt really, really tacked on. Oh, thank you, Leo. I just saw that. Thanks. Um, uh, it's actually Justin. It's on the screen, but that's okay. I get Jason all the time. It's all right. Uh, Dennison, you're just back from Texas. Where are you at, Dennison? 
Like, I just saw that. Where are you at these days? Are you in Tennessee? Is that right? Anyway, while he's while he's responding to that, um, uh, yeah. Well, if you haven't seen it yet, I guess I'll, I'll lay off the Top Gun spoilers. Okay, Amarillo, gotcha, gotcha. Um, but yeah, so that's uh, that's all the stuff I had to talk about. Oh yeah, uh, if you have not voted for uh, the Dragon Awards, uh, if you Google that and want to nominate the Romanov Rescue uh, by Tom Kratman, KCSL, and me, Justin Watson. Uh, that's a way you can help out my writing career without spending a dime. Um, but yeah, and also I recommend, uh, I recommended on my initial post too, it's not just because she's watching. Uh, for science fiction, I also recommend uh, Ravages, Ravages of Honor Ascension, uh, the second book in Mona Lisa's space opera series. Awesome. Um, <laughs> Leah, autocorrected changes all I call Josh Hayes Justin Day. I get it. No worries, man. Um, yeah, and autocorrect can fuck up a wet dream. I understand it. Oh no. Yeah, I, I, I use foul language. I'm I'm not worried. Uh the, the channel is small enough at this point. I kind of feel like I can go bandit with language and content pretty hard and not have to worry about it too much. Um, and having set the tone, I probably won't clean up my acts when I do have a large audience either. So uh thank you guys for tuning in. I really appreciate the interaction. Um this will also be available as audio as well with all my ums and filler words as well. Uh, yeah. So that's about it. Um, I'll be getting on the road Tuesday morning, uh, on my way to Chattanooga. Um, I'll stick around for any questions for a minute. Um, yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, hi, Tom. <laughs> So that's Tom Monahan. Nice. Uh, very, very nice, Tom. I'm not sharing that online. You're a dick. <laughs> so anyway, uh, no, thanks for tuning in, everybody. I appreciate it. Uh, if there's no other further questions, I think I've covered what I had to cover and we're at right about a half an hour. It's probably a good time for this. Um, again, it'll be a couple weeks. Um, Mona Lisa, you and I have to get together on shadow and bone episode two hell maybe we'll record it from liberty con in our copious spare time we'll see um thanks everyone that's all the time there is for lauren valor today uh until i will see you next time and until then keep up the fire <laughs>